Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Brett. I want to welcome you here today. Welcome everyone watching online today. Thank you so much for, for being with us today. Well, we are currently in a series uh, where we're talking about holy fear. Holy fear. And to fear God doesn't mean that we're so scared of God that it makes us run and hide from Him. Okay? But holy fear of God actually draws us to God. It's, it's a reverential fear. It's reverence and admiration for the Most High God. Amen? It's to esteem and to honor. It's profound respect. It's to exalt Him higher than anyone or anything. But it's more than just lifting God up, but it, it's, it's actually to tremble and to awe at his majesty and his glory. We were talking earlier about Isaiah, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, when, when Isaiah was transported to heaven. Do you remember that story? And, and he saw the Lord sitting on the throne, and his temple was filled with his glory. And, and it changed him forever, that experience. And so let's try to understand for a minute, though, what Isaiah actually saw, which we won't be able to do satisfactorily. But, but he actually got a glimpse of the glory of God. Have you ever tried to explain or understand the glory of God before? See, the glory of God is, is everything that makes God, God. It's all of his, his attributes, all of his characteristics. It's, it's his authority, his kingship. Do you know that he's the king of the universe? Do you know that he's the king of the universe? Do you know that? It's his wisdom and, and his omniscience. It's his power and his might. His glory is kabod. It's the full weight and magnitude of his magnificence and his splendor and his brilliance. How many of you know that our God is an awesome God. It's the weight of that. It's kabod. The Bible says that, that his glory shines brighter than the sun. Do you know that when Jesus comes back, that he will actually darken the sun, the Bible says? Because his glory will outshine the sun. His glory is all of his goodness. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 33 when Moses asked God, show me your glory. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you. The glory of God is his goodness. It's his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his loving kindness. 
And then God says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. See, when an earthly king enters the room, there's a herald that first proclaims his name. And then the trumpets blow to announce his entrance. And the king enters in all of his splendor. His greatness is revealed to everyone. How many of you know that when Jesus comes back in all of his glory, that his greatness will be revealed to everyone? That there will be no mistaking who is the king of all kings? And when we behold him in his glory, that's when every knee will bow. That's when every tongue will confess. That is the Lord God Almighty. When we behold his glory. And so God, in, in Exodus, he, he reveals his glory to Moses, his goodness and his greatness, but he still shields him from it. He doesn't let him look on the fullness of his glory because his body can't physically endure the intensity of the glory of God. That's how amazing and powerful and intense God's glory is. Our physical bodies can't endure <laughs> his glory. Moses would have died. And so in Isaiah chapter 6, when the angels saw the Lord in his glory, they could only cry out one word. When they saw his goodness, when they saw his greatness, when they felt the weight of his majesty, there was only one word that could describe what they were seeing. Do you notice that word was not love? Even though God is love, even though his love is amazing, how many of you love the love of God in this place? That word was not faithful. Even though his name is faithful and true, and he's faithful to a thousand generations. But the dominant description of God in his glory, the one word that the angels could only cry out in that moment in beholding God, was holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy is the Lord God. See, the more we behold him, the more we understand his glory and see God, the more we're gonna know the holiness of God in our lives. How many of you know that holiness is not a suggestion, but it's a commandment. In 1 Peter 14, 16, 
God's word says, live as obedient children of God. Do not be conformed to the evil desires which governed you in your ignorance before you knew the requirements and transforming power of the good news regarding salvation. But like the Holy One who has called you, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Be set apart from the world by your godly character and moral courage because it is written, you shall be holy, set apart, for I am holy. Holiness is a commandment. We're commanded to have holiness in our life and we're commanded to pursue it. Hebrews chapter 12 and 14 says, pursue that consecration and holiness with which no one will ever see the Lord. Without which no one will ever see the Lord. To pursue, that word pursue there in Hebrews 12 in the Greek is to do something with intense effort, with a definite purpose or goal, with the intent to catch it. To pursue holiness means to passionately chase holiness with the intent to catch it. Not the intent to appear spiritual. Not the intent to to go through motions. But with the intent to catch it. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to pursue holiness with the intent to catch it. Are you ready to do that with me? (laughs) Bring it. I like that. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for for your presence in this place. I, I thank you so much, God, for your love and your faithfulness and your holiness. And God, I just pray. I just pray, God, that we go deeper in holy fear that we give you the reverence and the tremble and the awe that you so much deserve. And God, I pray that we go deeper in holiness today. And, And I just speak against anything that we might have attached to that that is not of you. Some bad teaching some bad heart attitudes. Whatever it is, God, I just speak against that and I pray that we hear the truth of your word today. And that every one of us leave this place pursuing holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think the first thing we need to do in in, in being able to pursue holiness is understand that there's actually two different types of holiness. And I think we need, to, we need to differentiate between the two because I think it causes for some bad doctrine and it causes for some confusion. Okay, and so there's two different types. The first type of holiness happens when we get saved. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become born again. Our spirit then is made brand new. Our sins are forgiven. Now we are clean by the 
blood of the lamb. The shed blood of Jesus is what makes us clean on the inside. We become clean and pure. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. So in Jesus, you have been made, what? Holy. In Jesus, you've been made holy. This is what is called our positional holiness. This is our position in Christ. You are holy in Christ. Someone say, I am holy in Jesus. In Jesus, you are the righteousness of God. Someone say, I am righteous in Jesus. Okay, and that whole work is called justification. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified, that is, acquitted of sin, declared blameless before God by faith. We have peace with God and the joy of reconciliation with him through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. So we are justified in Jesus. My, my pastor growing up, he'd always say, justified means just as if you never sinned. Ephesians 1.4 says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's our positional holiness. In Jesus, we are holy and blameless just as if we never sinned. How about that? That was worth the price of admission today. Right there. Okay? But you might ask yourself, wait a second, if I am so holy, <laughs> how come I don't always feel so holy? Anybody feel that way before? That's because we sin. That's because we blow it. It's because we miss the mark sometimes. Sometimes we, we follow our fleshly desires instead of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Is that true? I'm not the only one. Hebrews 10 introduces a second type of holiness. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time, for, that, for by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So the first part of that, in Jesus we are made perfect. That is our justification. That's our positional holiness. But wait a second, who's being made perfect? Who's been made perfect? Who's been made holy? Those who are being made holy. <laughs> okay? Wait a second, you just said I was holy. And now you're saying I'm being made holy. Okay, so we are holy in our position in Jesus. Is that true? but we're being made holy in our behavior. See, this, this is the work of our sanctification, right? We're made perfect, that's our justification. This, this work, though, of our behavior 
is the work of our, it's, it's sanctification. Sanctification, it's the process of becoming like Jesus. It's the process of becoming spiritually mature and complete. Okay, this is the process of, of us moving from selfishness to love. How are you all doing in that process? Depends on the day. This is our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions catching up to our newly created spirit. That's what this process of sanctification is. This is where our behavior starts to align with our position of holiness. This is behavioral holiness, right? And so this scripture in Hebrews 10, it includes both types. First of all, we're perfect, we're holy, we're pure, we're blameless. That's our position in Christ. That's positional holiness or our justification, and we're also being made holy. That's our behavioral holiness and sanctification. Is everybody with me? Okay. So you are forever holy, positionally. You are being made holy, behaviorally. Okay. And so let, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. On August the 5th, in the year 2000, Charity Jeffers entered into a marriage covenant with Brett Blair. And she became Charity Blair. Lucky me. Right? And so she took the position of my wife, August 5th, the year 2000. Do you know that 23 years later, she's not more my wife than she was on that day that she became my wife? And 23 years from now, she's not going to be more my wife, but she became my wife. It was, a, it was a finished work. She became my wife on August 5, 2000, and it was glorious. Okay? Now, just like in Christ, we were made holy on the day of salvation. Positionally, we became justified and will never be more holy than we are in Jesus. Positionally, we are holy and blameless, period. However, once charity became my wife, her behavior started to line up with her position as my wife. Some of you say, you better be careful <laughs> what you're about to say next. Here's what I'm going to say next. See, before, before she was my wife, she dated other guys. I don't get it. <laughs> She, she put the vibe out, right? You guys know the vibe? Hey. How you doing? She gave, her, she gave her phone number to other guys. She went on dates with other guys, and we can't fault her. She was looking 
for Mr. Wright. We can't, we can't, you know, it's what she had to do. I get it. Okay. But listen, after she became my wife, that behavior changed. She only puts out the vibe for her hubby now. And it's glorious. She doesn't give her phone number away. She doesn't go on other dates anymore. Right? See, her behavior lined up with her position. Does that make sense? And so now let's read 1 Peter again. And you tell me which, which holiness is he referring to, okay? Which type of holiness? He says, live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. For it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Which type of holiness is Peter talking about? Behavioral holiness. Does that make sense? He's not talking about our position in Christ. Right? He's talking about our behavior. Right? That process of sanctification becoming like Jesus. Okay? And so he's saying, don't behave like you did before you knew Jesus and made that, entered into that marriage covenant with God. Don't behave that way anymore. Okay, James says it a lot stronger. James chapter 4, 3 and 4 says, And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So God uses this this image of a marriage covenant in the church, in the body of Christ. Who's the groom? Jesus. Who's the bride? Us. Right? And so... He said, he, so James calls us adulterers. See, when we behave like we're still single, right, when we violate that marriage covenant with the groom, with Jesus, God calls us adulterers. When we deliberately align ourselves with the world's desires of self-gain and prideful achievements and sexual immorality, we become adulterers. When we deliberately live in sin and when we neglect holiness on purpose, we are adulterers. And you know, just like there is a dominant description of God when the angels see him in his glory and cry out, holy, there is also a dominant description of the church that Jesus is coming back for. Ephesians 5.27 says that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
Who's Jesus coming back for? The bride that is holy. See, if holiness is a road that we're all trying to stay on, how many of you know with every road there's always two ditches, right? And so I think what happened initially with the church is we, start, is, is we started on this road of holiness, but then we fell into a ditch called legalism. And, and so what was happening was we were teaching and preaching about holiness, but it was with this slant of legalism, and, and so people were being condemned by their actions by not fulfilling man-made requirements. And a lot of people were really hurt by that. And a lot of people left the church because of that. And so then what happened, because we wanted to correct that, we wanted to get back onto that road of holiness, we started preaching about grace. How many of you love grace? <laughs> I love it. I need it, as you all well know. Okay? But then what happened, though, is we were so afraid of going back into the dis- this ditch of legalism that we started to water down this message of grace, and then we started to fall into the other ditch, which was lawlessness. And so people in the church actually started to believe that they could live their life any way they want to, and they can gratify all the desires of their sinful nature and still be considered holy because of their faith in Jesus. And that is so dangerous. Because that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if we deliberately live in sin, we don't belong to him anymore. 1 John 3 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Look at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But this is evident, but this By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And the Bible also says that we will face the wrath of God if we continually, deliberately, willfully live in sin. Look what it says in Hebrews 10.26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment's going to be for those who've trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant 
which made us holy as if we were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This scripture is so clear. We can't continue living in sin. We can't live our life any way that we want to. If we have received Jesus or professed Jesus. And so you know what? You can raise your hand at a salvation call. And you can go to church and even be on the dream team. And you can sing and clap and dance and raise your hands in worship. But if you are continually, deliberately living in sin, you are rejecting Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us and the grace that God has for us and you will be judged and you will go to hell. This seems so harsh, doesn't it? It's like, can you just talk about God's love some more? (laughs) This is a downer. It seems so harsh, but listen, if you are deliberately living in sin, this is a harsh word from a father who desperately loves you. My children are little and they run into the street, almost get hit by a car. I don't give them high fives. What do I do? I give them a harsh rebuke. Because I love them and I don't want them to die. God loves you. He doesn't want you to die. He sent his son so he can spend an eternity with you. Wow. What a savior. But what a gross misunderstanding of grace. It's like a wife says to her husband, I love you. I'm committed to loving you. I'm going to love you forever. And the husband says, oh, that's awesome. Does that mean I can have a girlfriend then? What an abuse of that love. That is rejection of that love. No, you can't. (laughs) Right? It's no different when we choose to live in sin and behave like we're still single and we keep dating the world. It's no different. We're rejecting the blood and the love and the grace of Jesus. And please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that because we sin, we're going to hell. I'm not saying that. We've all been unfaithful to God. Is that true? We could all be called adulterers at one point in our life. Is that true? Right? But the difference is what? It's a repentant heart. That's the difference. Are you with me? It's a repentant heart. Okay? And so how do, we, how do we live in holiness? How do we stay on this road to holiness? Um, I'd like to begin my, my three points now. Um, and so 
<laughs> Don't worry, I'm aware. I'm aware of the time. Okay. Um, it's always nice to get to see the second half of the first set of NFL games on Sunday morning. <laughs> so number one is this. Okay. We need to cleanse ourselves. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Having then these promises, beloved, may we cleanse ourselves from every pollution of flesh and spirit. I think this is the scripture that Mandy read this morning, actually. Perfecting sanctification in the fear of God. Her, her translation, I think, was perfecting holiness in the reverence of God. Right? And, and so, um, how do we cleanse ourselves? We repent. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. So number one is we need to repent of holiness in our lives. I'm already done number one. Okay, number two is we need to live in holy fear. We need to live in holy fear. Holy fear, listen, holy fear produces holiness in our lives. Holy fear produces holiness. And just like we just read in 2 Corinthians 7, that we perfect sanctification in the fear of God. So this, this behavioral holiness, this process of becoming holy, <clears throat> aligning our behavior with the position that we have in Jesus is done through holy fear. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now how much, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we are working out our salvation. This is sanctification. This is that process of becoming like Jesus, right? But how are we supposed to do it? In fear and trembling. What's that talking about? That's talking about holy fear. This is how we work out this, this, this process. We reverence God and his word. Thanks, Becca. <clears throat> and it's holy fear that's going to protect us from evil and sin and disobedience and rebellion in our life. Look at Proverbs 16:6. It says, "And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil." It doesn't say by the love of God. It says by the fear of of the Lord. How many of you know it's possible to love God and still make a decision to live an unholy life? Is that possible? There was, a, there was an evangelist in the 80s, and uh, he, had, he had the biggest ministry in the world. And if I said his name, you'd know who I'm talking about, and you probably know who I'm talking about already. He had the biggest ministry in the world. And, uh, like, I'm talking millions and millions of people were, were a part of this. And um, eventually, he got arrested and charged with mail fraud. He was deceiving people out of money. 
And he got sentenced to 45 years in prison. That sentence got reduced later. But, um, but he asked John Bevere to come and, and meet with him in prison. And so he's meeting with John, and they're talking, and John asks him the question, at what point did you stop loving God? And he said, John, I, I never stopped loving God. And right away, John was a little, okay, hold on a second. Not only are you in prison for trying to steal, but you had an affair seven years before you were even charged with mail fraud. He said, John, I never stopped loving God, but I didn't fear him. Didn't fear him. Didn't have that reverence for him and for his word. Right? You can love God and still fall into that ditch of lawlessness. Right? And I, I bet there's lots of us in this room that could testify to that. Right? But holiness comes through a holy fear of God. See, the love of God draws us to him. Yes? And then it's the fear of God that keeps us from disobedience and sin and, and lawlessness. Just not, I'm trying to think if I'm supposed to say this thing or not. <laughs> I'm about to say. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm going to keep going here. So, so, number one, we need to repent. Number two, we need to live in holy fear. Number three is we need to live in the power of of God's grace. Jordan talked about the power of his grace. Did you guys catch that? When we hear the word grace, we don't typically think of the word power, do we? We think of love and softness and pillows <laughs> and clouds. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Okay, but look at Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. This is Paul talking. He said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is power. 2 Peter 1 verses 2 to 3 says, may God give you more and more grace and peace. As you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, beholding him by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God's grace empowers us to live holy. See, that Greek definition, I should have put this on my notes and I didn't. That Greek definition of grace, it's the word charis, right? And it's gift, favor, benefit, liberality, those are common words that we think of with grace. But look at this. It's also the divine influence on the heart and its reflection in life. That's the empowerment of his grace to live a holy life. Right? So grace doesn't just forgive us of our sin. 
but it empowers us to live free from sin. Is that true? 2 Corinthians 6.1 says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. How do we receive God's grace in vain? We don't utilize the full measure of his grace. We just use a little bit of his grace. But we don't use the full measure. So maybe we just use a little bit to have our sin forgiven, but we're still living in sin. We're, we're, we're receiving his grace in vain. We're not utilizing the full measure of it. If I, if I lend you my car and you just use it to listen to the radio, but you don't drive anywhere, you're not using the full measure of that. Does that make sense? Right? And so one of the ways that, that I think we use God's grace in vain is we try to stay on this road of holiness, but we do it in our own strength. We do it with willpower, which is a guarantee you're going to find a ditch, right? In 2009, in the United States, there was a nationwide survey, and there was, there was thousands of Christians that, that took this survey, and the survey was just this simple question, um, define, give at least three definitions of what grace is. Give three definitions, okay? And, and this, these were the, the overwhelmingly four top definitions of grace from thousands of Christians. One was salvation. One was unmerited favor. One was forgiveness of sin. And another one was the love of God. Does that sound like grace? Absolutely, Okay. 2%, 2% of these thousands of Christians, only 2% said that grace is empowerment, is God's empowerment. See, if that survey is an accurate representation of the church, then I would guess from that survey that 98% of the church is, is using their own strength and not God's empowerment to try and stay on that road of holiness. Does that make sense? You know, when God said, to, to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You know, um, that means what you can't do in your own ability, you can now through the power of God's grace. And you know, when we read that context of, of 2 Corinthians, and I'm almost through, just stay with me a little bit here. If, if you read that context of 2 Corinthians, it's when Paul is, is praying and asking God to remove the thorn. Do you guys remember that? Okay. And, and if you study that, I think it's very easy to see, I think it's very easy to see that Paul's thorn was, was people and persecution. I mean, how many times was Paul beaten up and imprisoned and shipwrecked and all these things, right? For me, that's, that's when I study that, that's easy to see. But, but a lot of us, and I've heard a lot of teaching on this growing up. And the teaching that I consistently heard about this was God basically just said, when he said my grace is sufficient for you, is like, well, you just have to deal with it. And, you know, soon you'll be in heaven. That's, that's the teaching that I got from that. Right? How many of you know um, in John 16, 33, Right? Jesus says that we're going to have trouble and trial and sorrows in this world. 
But then he says, but then he says, take heart because you're going to die soon and it doesn't matter. Is that, is that what Jesus said? No. He said, take courage. I have overcome the world. God is not saying, when he says, my grace is sufficient for you, he's not saying, I'm giving you ability to be wimpy and live in defeat. He's saying, I'm giving you power to overcome the world. I'm giving you ability to live in victory and the finished works of the cross. I'm giving you power over sin and live in freedom over sin. I'm making it possible for you to walk that road of holiness. That's what God's grace does for us. It empowers us to holiness. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Last scripture, Romans 6. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do not... Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Hallelujah. On your strength, you're going to struggle. But on his strength, you can stay on that road of holiness. Amen? Amen. I'm going to the worship team forward. And we always sing one more song. And the reason why we do that is because we want to give you a chance to just respond to whatever God is telling you in your heart. Okay, and so maybe, maybe you need to uh, repent. Maybe we need to spend some time repent, you know, of, of, um, of trying to do things on our own strength, right? Or maybe we need to repent of some whole, uh, unholiness in our life. But whatever it is, I want to encourage you just to engage, okay? So, so don't think about lunch yet. Engage. Engage in the Lord. Okay? And you can stand. You can sit. You can come to the altar. Our prayer team is also going to be at the front. Maybe part of what, maybe part of your response is coming for prayer. Okay? And so I'll invite our prayer team to come forward as well. And invite us just to enter in.